You're still listening to Radio Pulpit and Radio K Pulpit. Welcome to it. If you just tuned in, you are tuned in at the right time. Joining me now, as promised, is Lady Estelle Hyman. She is all the way from the U.S. in South Africa, if that makes sense. (laughs) She is a South African-born woman of God, these days stationed or based in the United States of America. Good morning, Frau Fanier, and welcome to Elevated. Good morning, uh, Pastor Jenna Lee. Thank you so much for having me um, this morning. I am so delighted to be on here. Let me ask you, you've been in America for so long now. And I mean, you just come to South Africa to visit once in a while and for ministry purposes. Do you feel like you're an American at this stage or do you still feel very much South African? Listen, there's nothing that can ever take the South African out of you. <laughs> I Once you hit South African soil, it's like everything makes like a 360 turnaround. You sense, hey, I'm in Africa, because I said Africa. So uh, I, I I think I still feel like I'm, I'm South African. Really, when I'm in South Africa, I, I just feel like ain't nothing like home. Mm-mm-mm. Absolutely. And you were, were in South Africa just to come and um, uh, connect with your family and ministry. Tell me about this recent trip. What did it do for you and for your spirit and your soul? Well, you know, the the last um, few years, two years, you know, we've been all through going through um, a global crisis and a global pandemic. And so um, I was really longing to come home because I've lost my grandmother. I've lost my aunt, um, you know, during the pandemic and I couldn't fly out. So this time when I came home, you know, every person that I've hugged, it it, it just felt different. It felt so different. I, I, I think hugs was a little bit given, given longer. We held each other a little longer. I know when my father walked in and he saw me and he hugged me, he started crying. So um, really, it, 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 it really was just, it was just a sigh of relief to just be back home. Mm-mm. And I think that dealing with grief, when you are not able to have um, that sense of finality, you, you were not able to be at the funeral. Um, it must be very <laughs> difficult. It really was difficult because, you know, our people, our culture, we, we go and say goodbye. You know, if we, if the hospital or, you know, if the doctors calls us in and say, Hey, there's nothing no more with that we can do you go and say your goodbyes. And I had to do that over the phone, you know, and that to me was just a little impersonal and it's not the way that we used to do things. So it really wasn't for me a chapter or uh, a closure, as I can say, Mm -hmm. um, until I really got home. My aunt was still with us this Saturday. We know she was not well, but uh, you know, according to us, she was getting a little bit better. Um, but then the Sunday, right at 11 o'clock, you know, she transitioned and and all of that really wasn't closer until I got here and went to their grave sites and kind of, you know, pour out my heart there. Mm-mm. What did help you while you were in the U.S.? Um, you, as you said, you lost your grandmother. Uh, what is it that helped you at this stage? I also know that you lost your father-in-law during that time, which was very traumatic what is it that mm-hmm. helped you heal in that season? Or let me not even say heal because sometimes we couldn't even heal. We could just try and cope. We could just try mm-hmm. and live day by day. What helped you? Um, 
what helped me really generally was my was my dad's voice, my father, Apostle James David's voice, speaking to me constantly, you know, reminding me that the purpose that while we are on this earth, you know, is is temporary. We're not here to stay forever. Um, um, and the fact that the people that has transitioned had had God in their life and just holding on to that reality that we are all here for a season um, and that we need to, you need to make, you know, as hard as it is, you have to get that into your mind. Um, you will pray for me. You know, I really couldn't break down. It's correct that you said um, I, I lost my father-in-law. It's been a year now. Um, uh, this year, April the 30th, I believe. Um, no, April the 21st, he passed away. Um, and then we had the the services um, April the 30th and the, May the 1st. So it was a year. It doesn't feel like a year because we're still, you know, trying to get used to the fact that he's not around no more since he has played such a huge role in the whole family's life. So the fact that my, I constantly heard my father's voice, you know, he was the voice of, of, of letting me come back to reality. And this is how life is. And, you know, he was really the one that I would call sometimes because I couldn't I couldn't cry to my husband too much because he was also mourning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very, very tough indeed. You now speak of your father-in-law who was a phenomenal man of God, a preacher, a pastor. And then you have your father, Apostle James Davids, who's also um, an incredible voice for God on the continent. Um, you write about it a bit in your book, uh, Journal of a Preacher's Kid. But talk to me about legacy, because now you are um, the legacy of Apostle James Davids. And do you feel any pressure to have to kind of continue that legacy? And then you also have the other side, which is your husband's side, in terms of the legacy that has to be continued there. Definitely, I do feel um, I do feel the responsibility, the the urge to continue, you know, even though my dad is still here, I don't want to wait until he transitioned one day before I can, you know, um, really do my part as a daughter. I feel my dad has invested into me so much mm-hmm. um, that when the time comes when their bodies is not able to run the same way you know, that they run 10 years ago or 20 years ago, I feel the sense of responsibility to somehow help with the pace, you know, and somehow help with where he can. That's why when I came down to Worcester, um, I was supposed to only stay like for five days, but then I said, no, let me, you know, because my dad asked me, are you going to be, um, when are you leaving? I already know the signs <laughs> when he wants me to, <laughs> when he wants me to minister, he will ask me, um, so what day are you leaving? Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, he don't need to ask me anymore. I said, well, I'm going to probably leave um, in the next week. I'll be here on Sunday. And I'll probably, so he asked me, okay, can you minister then for me on Sunday? And, you know, I had to stay for, 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 for two weeks. I, I then ended up ministering two Sundays. Um, and I felt that was my responsibility because he has been there for me all mm-hmm. these years. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always feel like I could do more. There's more things that I want to do for the church Ebenezer. There's more things that I want to do for um, my dad because I feel like he has invested, you know, his time, his money, mm. his prayers. He has invested all. There's, there, there will never be, Jenna, a, a time where we as children can ever 
repay our parents mm. for what they have invested in us. You know, it's time that they can never return back. It's money that we will never be able to pay back. It doesn't matter how much we do for the house sometimes or how mm. much we send or how much gift we buy. We will never be able. So I do feel the need and, and the, uh, the pressure to continue his legacy. Now, the journey of a preacher's kid is not always smooth. And you talk about it in your book. Tell me um, a little bit about what people can read in this book, Journal of a Preacher's Kid, with regards to your journey as the daughter of the Apostle James Davids. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it has, it, it, it definitely has been a journey that, um, you know, I, I couldn't forget. I, I wrote it down and, I, you know, I asked you to help me and, and it was gracious enough to, you know, help me with this. And you did such an awesome job. Um, my, my, I, I, st- I start talking about the innocent years, mm. you know, the years that I really didn't know I was I was just a kid I was just you know like every other kid I saw myself as any other child I talk about you know when I would play in the streets and considered myself just the innocent child until I went to school and that's my second chapter where it is meeting the preacher's kid where that's my first time that I actually met I never heard about the term I I was never introduced to the term until a teacher in school told me um, you're supposed to be the pastor's kid. Um, you're not supposed to act that way. And that's when it hit me that, oh, am I different? Something, mm-hmm. something different about me. Um, and that's when I actually first, and I want to say it was in grade two that I met this name, the preacher's kid. Well, I wrote off the benefits of being a preacher's kid without talk about in chapter three mm-hmm. benefits. Oh, people love you and people, you know, will do things for you. And, you know, but there was also the downside you know, the sacrifices that a pre-case preacher's kid have to do. There's so many sacrifices. You have to, you know, share your parents with the world. You have to share your parents with the congregation. And sometimes I feel felt a little bit neglected. Sometimes I felt like um, the people get more attention than me. I sometimes felt like, mm, look like they their word is above my word, mm. you know, because I always had to walk a certain way. I, I, I couldn't do anything wrong. I'm not I wasn't being allowed to be a child because if I be a child, I'm tainting the mm. name. You know, I'm tainting the image. You said your, your dad is preaching, you know, so you shouldn't be if your dad is preaching against just, for example, your dad is preaching against naughty kids, then you shouldn't be one because you don't want to fall in that category. So when I became a teenager, I want to desperately and that's, you know, also in my the, one of the um, chapters becoming a teen. I then started fighting for my own identity. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I didn't want to be the PK's kid no more. I didn't want to be called that I didn't want to be put in this box I want to be able to make my own mistakes I want to be able to live my own identity a matter of fact I was fighting so hard to have my name Estelle I don't want to be called the PK no more Mm -hmm. and that's when you become a teen fighting I I think I poured my energy in the wrong direction Mm -hmm. so instead of trying to instead of people trying to help me to 
to discover my identity in a good way, I was, I was forcing to discover my identity in a bad way, negative way. You know, I was rebelling against everything that they say. I was, uh, and that's when the relationships came in and that's when the rebellious ship came in, you know, and I was in, in relation, I was in, well, two relationships that I can call on, you know, that I was really just going contrary to what my dad, I was dating an ex um, gangster that just came out of jail. Mm. Um, and, you know, I was dating somebody that was kind of 15 years older than me just to, be, to break the narrative of what people, mm. the box that people put me in. But in the meantime, I was hurting myself, yeah. you know, because, you know, I was, I was, I was, I was really not happy because I was doing all of this to get out of the box of people. I broke up with these um, uh, in these relationships and then um, my in the eighth chapter, it talks about my 43rd day of miracle. Mm-hmm. And that's when I, I went to London. I got a word from Bishop John Francis, a corporate word that after 43 days, you know, your life will drastically change. Um, and 43 days after that, I met my husband, which is Bishop A.D. Hyman from mm-hmm. the USA. So that's just a, a short wrap up about what the content is and what the book is all about. That's beautiful. So if you would like to get hold of this book, get your pen and papers ready, because we're going to give the details on how you can do that in a bit. But I want to ask you this, um, Estelle, before we take a music break, as a pastor yourself today, you are raising the most beautiful little girls one of them not so little anymore well two of them not so little anymore but how does your experience as a pk influence how you raise your daughters who are also pks um i always sit down with my daughters and i tell them that you guys are your own you have your own identity um I want you to do the right thing, not because me and daddy are in ministry. I try to, to not, um, I try to not do the same things that was, you know, done. I, I try to let them make mistakes. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to say, I'm sorry. It's okay to speak about when something is not, when something doesn't feel right to you, when something, you know, you feel uncomfortable. I let my kids be very vocal because I wasn't. I, I just, I just rolled with the punches, you know, and I, I, I try to support my children as much as I can school wise. Um, when they come home and they said, yeah, you know, because now you have to understand they are even the grandkids of PKs. So <laughs> when they're in, in America, they know their papa, they know Bishop Hyman, Don Hyman, and they, they will sometimes try to use that. Now I know your papa is a bishop. Now don't you act up and don't you do that? Da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. And when they come home and they tell me that, I will always tell them, listen, I don't want you, number one, what you did do, what, if you did do it, it was wrong. It was wrong, whether you're a preacher's kid, whether you're um, a teacher's kid, whether you are somebody that is in no position, kid, that's mm. wrong. Mm. But what I, I, what I want you to do is I will never, I, I told my children, never compare yourselves to other people. Mm. Never, ever because sometimes I was compared to, now you know this and that pastor's child, they don't do this. And, and, and you better act right and you better walk right. I don't like to talk because you can, you can think that you're encouraging your child by pulling out other people as examples, but you're actually discouraging them. Absolutely. Because you're comparing. And so I try to let my kids have a free dialogue with me to let them be very comfortable to talk to me if anything is bothering them. And um, just to, you know, 
just to have life principles, mm. you know, basic principles in life, be, have that in place for them. I want to ask you this, Estelle. I have a problem with the statement that people make where they say, uh, like, um, uh, you know, when you go onto TV, for instance, when I start got the job on TV or on radio, then people will send you a message. I, God bless you. Just don't change. Stay the sweet humble. I don't know what you are. I have a problem with that statement because every new experience and every new dimension, every new platform, every new environment is designed to change you. You will change because you're experiencing different things. You are exposed to different standards and different people. So how has moving from South Africa to the United States, how has it changed you? Um, <laughs> you know, I had a problem with that as well. Change. Change means there's something, there's movement. Change means that there is improvement. You know, I think sometimes people see change. Um, and I talked about it um, at, at, at Crystal Church the other night. I said, um, we as human creatures are, are creatures of, well, human beings are creatures of habit. Mm -hmm. So we tend to, you know, do the same thing over and over again. We are so scared to do something different because we are so used to this habit. We are so used to doing, you know, the same thing. And so people are scared of change. And I think that's where they say, please don't change it. Don't change because we're so used to, and we love this, you know, we love this, but change is inevitable. We see it now in life, how things have changed, mm -hmm. you know, how has America changed me? I think America has changed me to um, a place where I, I see things differently. How do I see? Well, I see ministry differently. Mm -hmm. You know, the way they do ministry in America is different than the way that they do um, in South Africa. I see a lot of more, a lot more protocol, you know, that they establish. I see a lot of more structure mm -hmm. um, that side. Um, the living conditions in America is better than here, um, you know, in South Africa, my children have Medi Medicaid, you know, insurance. Um, I have it. Um, you, you have people that get assistance in housing where they can stay in a three or four bedroom house and don't pay nothing but 500 rand and the government help assist them to pay the rest. Mm. You know, so for me, the, the lifestyle, the living on that side is more manageable. It's more um, doable than here in South Africa. You see kids that once they finish school, they go straight to college and they make they make something you know they're very career oriented mm -hmm. um they push they push they push even if they have to you know take out loans from the bank and you know take out student loans sorry student loans mm -hmm. they they will go into that debt so that they can get their qualifications and then pay the government back when they start working even if it, even though it's very hard sometimes for them um you know but they they push to get their certification or to get their accomplishments I wish I did mine when I was here mm. because then getting a professional professional job you know that will pay me more um would be easier but because I didn't finish I went to Cape uh Cape but Peninsula Un um, University Cape Tech at mm. that point but I never finished my course so when I went to America I started doing substitute teaching and 
I was I was good at what I was doing because every principal that I the schools that I go to ask me, Lady Hyman, do you have any degree at of any sort or Miss Hyman, do you have any degree of any sort? Because we can get you certified as a teacher mm. if you have a degree. It doesn't matter what kind of degree you have. Um, and so I am working on getting my associate's degree in theology so that I can um, also be certified as um, a teacher because that works with my girl schedule. And I love I love working with kids. It has changed me in a positive way. That is beautiful. And one of the things that I love about your journey is that it has also given you access to musicals. Um, for those who don't know you, Lady <laughs> Estelle Hyman is also a powerful vocalist. So you've started doing musicals and I can't wait to see you even on South African stages at the Joburg Theater, all of that in musicals. Tell me about the musicals and how you've been enjoying that. I have been enjoying it. It was something that was totally out of my comfort zone when they approached me. You know, um, my my mother-in-law's aunt, she the one she's the one that gave me the flyer actually at church in London. She told me, are they having um, a Dream Girls audition at the Florence Little Theater? I'm like, theater? I'm used to concerts, not theater. And she said, well, go and try out. And when I walked in there, it was probably over 40 people sitting in there. Um, I, I want to say more than 40. Let me not lie. Over 40 people and everybody was coming to audition. And um, me and um, three other girls, five other girls ended up with the role they had to decide with the role of Effie, um, Laurel and um, Dina, which was, uh, you know, Jennifer Hudson, mm-hmm. um, Beyonce. Uh, and I can't get to this girl's name now, but it was the three the girls, dream girls. And when we kept singing, they gave us a line to sing and we kept, we kept singing it. And they was just like, y'all just not making it easy on us tonight. I believe we went to the interview. Um, Two days, seven o'clock that night. We only got out that night, probably like eleven thirty. That's how hard it was for them to choose. But I ended up getting the role of Laurel. My friend um, Jorinda got the role of Effie, and then um, Amisha got the role of um, Dina. It mm-hmm. was we did. It was the first time that an all-colored or black cast mm-hmm. um, got sold out for seven days straight Wow! when we did it yes it was the first time ever in the history of the little theater that they sold out the show for seven days straight because people that came and see the first night came back some people came back the second night some people came back the third night um to come and see um the the dream girl show then after that i was in a a, a stage play um called cinderella and i acted up being the the lead um role um Cinderella in there and I was singing um they then um contacted me while I was over here mm-hmm. um the orchestra uh, in Florence Uni- Francis Marion University have an orchestra mm-hmm. and they wanted us me and Jorinda and D- um Amisha they wanted us to find out from us if we would be part of the Christmas orchestra that is something huge in Florence South Carolina Um, Christmas show in December so I'm very excited about that because it's going to be my first time singing in an orchestra wow that is (laughs) incredible God is amazing he knows the plans that he has for us and 
We just honor him and thank him for your life, Estelle. You are now a teacher, a preacher. You are a singer. You are a performer. You are an actress. I mean, you. Uh, there's just so much to you. What is next uh, for your foreseeable future? What is it that you are aiming for next? What I'm aiming for next is something that I've always loved. I think this desire came from, originated from my dad's vision for Ebenezer where he dreamed that cars that came into a garage um, came through the garage. But when they come out on the other side, um, it is like a brand new vehicle, which talks about restoration being restored. Um, I have um, discovered I have a love for renovations. um, And I tried doing it with my father-in-law's, one of his houses in in, um, America. And I did it by myself with the help of an older guy um, that always used to help my father-in-law around, you know, his yard fixing stuff. And, and I started renovating painting. I, I started painting for the first time. And he looked at me, the, the, the guy, Mr. Julius, he said, if this is your first time painting, I don't know how it's going to look when you really, really start painting. We wow. fixed the, the holes in the, you know, I put, I posted a picture, a video on Facebook of the before and of the after and the responses that I received was quite, you know, positive. My foresee future plans is to, you know, register myself as a realtor. Um, and then um, I want to do contract. I want to, I want to renovate houses wow. um, in, in the USA. So that's, that's really what I, I'm looking forward, forward to do. So business mogul is basically the other title we are adding you'll be yes, a, that a is business yeah. so you're going to be flipping houses that is incredible yes ma'am yes ma'am <laughs> that's what I want to do in fact my daughter I was talking to her last week and um I didn't talk to them about it um but my daughter Cassidy was like mommy I dreamed that you was renovating houses like the two twins on TLC mm. and that was just amazing when she just popped out of the blue and just Tell him, tell, and you know, you know Christiana is my oldest, so she always want to correct and I uh, want to rectify. So she's like, you talking about um, the people that be going to the fleet? She said, no, I'm saying the two twins that mm. flip houses on TLC. And she said, oh, 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 now I understand what you're saying. So, yeah, that kind of gave me a, 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 a boost, you know, to wow. say, OK, God, if you can let her see it, then um, I know it's I know it's possible to do it. Well, thank you so much for sharing your heart and a little bit of your testimony and your vision with us today. In closing, I just want to ask if there's anything you'd like to leave our listeners with. I know you're getting ready to go back to the U.S. today. Um, So what is your last word of encouragement to South Africa? My last word of encouragement, because I I think I didn't throw it in. um, There was a time and a season that I did lose my identity in the U.S.A., you know, because I was there for so long and I was getting adjusted to the life there and the culture there. And until, you know, I came back home and I'm like, this is home. This is this is where where my roots is. I want to encourage the listeners today that I don't matter. It doesn't matter what you go through in life. Never let the challenges that you go through in life or your surroundings or your environment or your temporary environment shape your identity. Um, in a, in, in a, don't lose, let me say it like that. Don't lose your identity. For example, if you are in a state, you know, 
of you are you are temporarily depressed. Don't let that form and create your your new identity to tell you that this is your this is your narrative. This is what you're gonna be. This is what you're gonna you know your circumstances around you is just temporary. Mm-hmm. It is not permanent. We are in a in a bad shape right now as as a whole as a world financially. People are 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 pulling hard. Um, church wise, our churches are trying to get our people back into you know the swing of things, back into church mode, back into coming back into the sanctuary. Um, you know, jobs was closing. This is not our this is not our permanent. This is our temporary. Mm-hmm. And I don't want you to lose yourself in the midst of all of that. Know who you are. Know whose you are because you belong to Christ. And he has the last say so over your life. And so I just want to encourage you to stand firm because the salvation of the Lord is very near. It's very nigh. Um, and we're going to get out of it. You're going to get out of it. I don't care what the devil tries to tell you every day. Don't let the enemy speak into your mind, but you speak over your own self and tell yourself, oh, I'm going to make it. I know I feel depressed today. I know I feel down today. I know I feel like ain't no money coming in today, but I am going to get out of this because the Bible, the word of God, the true living word says that everything has a season and this season too shall pass. Amen. Amen. That's the voice of Lady Estelle Hyman. She's also the author of a book called Journal of a Preacher's Kid. How do we get hold of the book? I know it is on Kindle as well. There, It is on Kindle. If you uh, put it in on Amazon, you will um, find it. But I will leave. I am leaving some copies here in South Africa. And if people are interested in buying a copy of my book, they can email me. Um, to the next to the following email address it is l e h m i n 12 mm-hmm. at gmail.com again that is l e h m i n 12 at gmail.com and we will talk there my team will give you instructions on how to make a payment and um, get your address and they can um, ship it to you um, as soon as possible yeah that's 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 how you for now that's how you can get in contact and get in touch and and get a copy of the book thank you so much we appreciate it and i encourage all our listeners to try and get your hands on a copy of this book uh estelle safe travels back to the u.s for you we really appreciate it and when you come back we hope to have you in studio lots of blessings and love thank you so much jenna love you too (laughs) 